0: This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome to the Diabetes Knowledge and Practice podcast, your bi-weekly source of news, views, and updates in diabetes care. Today's episode is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk, who has had no influence on the content or choice of faculty. As always, I'm James Bannister.
1: And I'm Emma Phillips. In today's session, we'll be discussing the combination of peripheral arterial disease and peripheral neuropathy and diabetes, which often manifest in the lower extremities, that is, the feet. We'll begin with a quick overview of the pathology of diabetic foot disease and discuss ways to reduce the risk of foot complications. We'll then join Graham Bowen to hear his advice on the management of diabetic foot disease in the clinic.
0: As always, please do skip ahead to this interview if you're already familiar with the topic. So, diabetic foot disease can be defined as a group of syndromes including peripheral neuropathy, peripheral arterial disease and infection, which can lead progressively to ulceration of the foot, tissue death, and possible amputation. In his clinical update published in 2017 in the BMJ, consultant surgeon and scientist Dr. Satish Mishra reported that diabetic foot disease affects nearly 6% of people with diabetes and is associated with a high risk of amputation. In fact, Diabetes UK report that the rate of lower limb amputations linked to diabetes is increasing, with the annual rate of amputation growing by 19.4% between 2010 and 2013, and over 26,000 cases being reported between 2014 and 2017. A majority of amputations begin as ulcers, and can be prevented with good foot care and screening to assess the risk for foot complications.
1: In Dr. Mishra's 2019 BMJ clinical update, he explains that uncontrolled diabetes contributes to the development of both peripheral neuropathy and peripheral arterial disease, which, when combined, contribute to diabetic foot disease. The 2019 ADA guidelines define peripheral neuropathy as a heterogeneous group of disorders that lead to either chronic pain or a loss of sensation. In peripheral neuropathy, chronic high blood glucose causes hyperactivation of metabolic pathways, which ultimately lead to nerve damage. In peripheral neuropathy, chronic high blood glucose causes hyperactivation of metabolic pathways, which ultimately leads to nerve damage. This nerve damage can cause chronic pain and loss of sensation in the feet, which in turn can cause ulcers or cuts to go unnoticed by the patient. Lack of treatment of these injuries as a result can lead to serious foot complications.
0: Turning now to peripheral arterial disease, or lower extremity arterial disease, the 2019 ESC guidelines on diabetes define the term as including conditions affecting all arteries except the aorta, coronary, and intracranial arteries. A review by the ADA published in 2003 describes diabetes as one of the strongest risk factors, along with smoking and hyperlipidemia. This assertion falls in line with the 2019 ESC guidelines, which report that one-third of patients hospitalized for peripheral arterial disease have diabetes. Peripheral arterial disease is caused by a buildup of fatty deposits in the arteries of the extremities, primarily the lower extremities, which which can cause blood vessel restriction and damage. Symptoms include pain and aching in calves, thighs, or the buttocks, appearing during walking exercise, which are alleviated by rest. In terms of reducing the risk of serious foot complications, both ADA and ESC guidelines recommend glycemic, blood pressure and lipid management to minimize or prevent serious damage. These guidelines also highlight the importance of early detection and diagnosis of symptoms of both peripheral arterial disease and peripheral neuropathy. Going back to Dr. Mishra's 2019 clinical update, screening of peripheral neuropathy should be conducted with the aim of identifying loss of sensation in the feet. This can be accomplished through pinprick tests, temperature sensation tests, and a 10-gram monofilament. Dr. Mishra's publication states that the inability to sense the 10-gram pressure exerted by the monofilament is the current consensus definition of loss of protective sensation.
1: For patients who have diabetes with peripheral arterial disease, 2019 ESC guidelines on diabetes advise an evaluation of patient medical history, symptom assessment, and examination for neuropathy on a yearly basis. ESC guidelines also recommend conducting the Ankle Brachial Index Test, or ABI test. This measures the ratio of the highest systolic blood pressure at the ankle to the systolic blood pressure at the arm, and is measured using a Doppler device. For general diagnosis of diabetic foot disease, 2016 NICE guidelines also recommend screening for limb ischemia, ulcerations, calluses, infection or inflammation of the foot. Annual assessments for all patients, including those at low risk, are also recommended. NICE guidelines further recommend referral of patients at moderate or high risk of developing diabetic foot problems to foot protection services. Multidisciplinary management between primary and secondary care services and patient education can also be implemented. This can enable patients to conduct foot care practices and important self-examinations.
0: So to summarise what we've discussed so far, Guidelines recommend regular checkups on foot health as well as screening for peripheral disease. However, how can we work together with patients to provide optimal protection? Joining us this week is Graham Bowen, clinical lead for podiatry in Southampton, to provide his advice on how we can work together. Thank you for joining us today. Our first question is Are there any diabetes management approaches that also benefit diabetic foot outcomes?
2: That's a really good question because the UKPDS study um, showed that if you improve HbA1c control by at least 1%, you'd get a 37% reduction in microvascular complications, which would have a massive impact on neuropathy, and also 43% in amputational death from peripheral vascular disease. So we do know that good glycemic control has a real impact in improving foot outcomes. In the cohorts of patients that I manage who have acute foot disease, their HbA1c can be well above 100. So it's really key to look at how you can tailor your joint care management plan individually with each patient to look at what their goals are to achieve. Um, And fundamentally, it's thinking that in an average, well, in the year, you've got 8,760 hours in the year. And a patient may only get between three and 20 hours with a healthcare professional. So that's 8,740 hours on their own that they have to manage their long-term condition. So it's really important that they know their numbers, their blood pressure, their cardio, cardiovascular risk factors, their cholesterol, but also know their foot risk. Um, and foot risks should be identified in primary care, and the foot risks are low, moderate high and acute foot and what that means to a patient is that a low risk patient which probably is about 60% of all patients with with diabetes have no significant risk factors and would be ulcer free at 2 years same as the general population moderate risk is a, a one risk factor so neuropathy or poor blood supply and um, and with callus, and they have a six-time-fold increase in chance of ulcer than a low-risk patient. And a high-risk patient, those patients had an amputation or healed or renal replacement therapy with foot deformity, callus, and risk factors, have an 83 times greater chance of ulceration than those patients who are low-risk. And once healed, a patient has a 40% chance of re-ulceration at 12 months, so it's really important but it's a holistic approach to foot disease and foot management in a patient
0: with diabetes. Thank you. On a similar note, are there specific anti agents that should or should not be considered? For example, there is evidence that SGLT2 inhibitors may increase the risk of lower limb amputations. Would you agree with these fears? And if so, are these something to avoid in patients with an elevated risk of foot disease?
2: Uh Not necessarily, because there is a risk factor with them, and that was shown in the study. However, what happens is that you get a a reduction in weight and an improvement in glycemic control, which is a benefit to those patients. So by reducing your weight or reducing the force coming through the foot on every step, we know there's a peak pressure that will lead to the callus formation or tissue um, ulceration due to ischemia. So actually reducing uh, the BMI of a patient. Uh, with certain anti-glycemic um, glycemic products would be really beneficial.
0: Wonderful, thank you for clarifying. You mentioned risk. Stri- Wonderful, thank you for clarifying. You mentioned risk stratification. What specific patient education approaches would you recommend in general for optimal foot care in diabetes? And does this change depending on the patient's individual risk?
2: Uh, most certainly, because. For a patient, uh, they need to be informed of their foot risk, so whether they're low, moderate, high, or have an acute foot, but actually understand what that means to them, their relative risk of developing a foot ulcer, their relative risk of developing an amputation, and we know that 85% of all amputations start with at least a single foot ulcer. So if you can prevent the foot ulcer in the first place, you're going to prevent that amputation. It's really key that they are educated to make sure they... Uh, don't smoke, and um, reduce their alcohol intake intake, um, keep well hydrated. Um, the heavier they are, the more weight they have to lose because it does have an indirect correlation to foot outcomes. Exercise is key, and the best form of exercise is walking. So uh, setting yourself a goal each day and achieving that, but ensuring you're wearing the right footwear for that activity. And it's really important that they have their their feet are inspected, because if they are neuropathic, every footwear will feel fantastic, whether it's appropriate or not. Um, So it's it's really key to understand from a patient perspective, their individual aspect. So we know that low-risk patients uh, can, uh, we can keep patients at low risk and they could benefit from group education or peer-to-peer education. The moderate and the high risk patients which have risk factors and or callus would be really beneficial in directing them to a suitable product on on an ongoing basis to hydrate their feet. And a urea-based product is ideal for those. But it's that ongoing maintenance of, of foot care that is key. Feet aren't the most exciting things, but actually having plenty of time to actually explain to a patient, try to understand their barriers that they might have with their feet, It might be cultural, it might be purely awareness. Uh, It might be down to their occupation. They might be uh, shift workers. They might have to wear steel toe cap shoes or a certain type of footwear that is putting their foot at risk. So actually understanding their whole life and their whole foot foot, and how that fits in is really key. There's plenty of resources that are online. So people learn by different ways, by one-to-one education, by diagrams, by leaflets. Um, but it's having that supportive process as opposed to just purely saying, okay, you're low risk, your feet are fine, you don't need to worry. Go away and we'll see in a year's time. Actually, it's really key to say, actually, you need to keep an eye on these on a daily basis. You need to put some cream on them. You need to look out for certain key aspects. Does the foot change in shape? Does it become smelly? Is there a red blister or any change in color? And if they've got a risk factor, it's putting them saying, actually, every step you take, you're putting your foot at risk. We can help you reduce that um, if you follow the following steps and guidelines. So it is very much tailored to risk stratification, but there are common themes throughout
0: all the groups. Marvellous, those all sound easily implementable, particularly discussing appropriate footwear when there is a loss of sensation. But in your opinion, what is the most important thing that our listeners could be doing to help prevent diabetic foot disease in their patients?
2: That's a really good question. Um, You try to make things as straightforward for patients. I think ultimately it's taking that ownership uh, to check their feet on a daily basis. Knowledge of their identification of foot risk is really key, knowing what their foot risk is and what they need to do. Um, if they've got callus, uh, any area on the foot, whether it be the heel, the ball, the foot or wherever, is use a urea based cream. Early detec- detection of problems, so their early awareness is really key and that's been shown up in various studies, that if a patient presents late, um, the outcomes are poorer. So. Early referral into a a foot protection team, uh, into a podiatry service, into a multidisciplinary diabetes foot team is really key. Awareness that neuropathy will always make their feet feel normal, and despite them having a foot ulcer, they may not equate that to a severity scale because they've got no pain from it. And if they're neuropathic, any type of footwear will feel great to wear. But if they're wearing it for a prolonged period of time, or it could be a few hours, it could lead to a blister, to an ulceration, and then onto an amputation. The National Diabetes Foot Audit, that's undertaken every year, shows that if a patient with a diabetes-related foot ulcer is seen sooner than two weeks from its initial presentation, they are live. They are, that patient is alive and ulcer-free longer than those patients seen after two weeks, and that's measured at twelve and twenty-four weeks. So, for me, it's it really is that bit of identifying their foot risk, asking the patient, engaging with the patient to stress the importance of looking after their feet, identifying problems early. And footwear has such an important aspect to play. And fully appreciate there's a range of footwear that's on the market um, and a range of devices they can put inside their shoes. But it's really key that they check their feet on 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 a daily basis.
0: Wonderful. Thank you for all your time today.
2: Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, I hope this makes a difference to patients. Thank you very much.
0: That's all the time we have. To summarise, diabetic foot disease can result in major adverse outcomes, including partial or complete amputation of a lower limb. However, these start as minor, easily treatable injuries, making it imperative to support people in self-care through risk stratification and simple education approaches, you can empower your patients to recognise and resolve foot disease before it becomes
1: too late. If you'd like to hear more from us on the latest developments in diabetes, you can subscribe to the podcast across all major apps or stream individual episodes from our website. If you found this episode useful, please leave us a review or tweet us at DKIPractice. You can also access our free accredited CME content at knowledgeandpractice.eu. Thank you for listening.
0: Thank you for joining us. If you have any further questions for our experts, or if you want to share your own clinical experience, join the discussion online using the hashtag DKIPpodiatry on Twitter. We look forward to hearing your thoughts, and we'll join you again soon.